everyone. Welcome to another episode of Woso Daily. I'm Joey. I am back. Thanks to High Octane and Claire for handling the pod so well yesterday. And I am here today with Greg Velasquez of the Scuff Podcast to talk about his favorite women's national team. It's not the one <laughs> that you might think. Greg, how are you doing? I am basking. Basking. Uh, Joey, how are you? Hey, I am all right, but I was better after waking up and seeing that Japan 4-0 scoreline, the win over Spain. Greg, it seemed like the Japanese women's national team kind of put together all that you've been talking about and heaping the praise on them, and they turned it up in a game that actually mattered. We had some questions because their first two games were against Zambia and Costa Rica, but now with an 11 goals for, 0 goals against, and 9 points, heading out of Group C in first place. How do you feel about the Japanese women's national team? Um, they're potentially still underrated. <laughs> uh, I'm enjoying them. Uh, again, you know, uh, I've, I've been firm on my stance that the World Cup is a party and you just celebrate the soccer as it goes. And so um, what Japan are doing is just even more exciting and more fun to see this level of soccer played at the international game where it's so often you know, is sloppy and you have to manage expectations uh, because of how, you know, little, again, again, how little time that these uh, teams and managers and players have to uh, get things right. And so for Japan to get so many things right in their execution, in their game plan, in their setup, uh, it's a marvel. <laughs> yeah. And even though we talk about it all the time with Spain, 77% possession, you know, all the passes, 894 passes in this game. They really didn't generate that many more chances than Japan did with so little of the ball. Why do you think Japan was so effective uh, in kind of disorganizing the Spanish defense and creating really good looks? Like they had uh, I, the the one goal. I think it was uh, Tanaka's goal was an absolute beauty. But the three in the first half just came off of simple transition, you know, midfield to attack. Well, so you know, looking back uh, on their goals. You had, uh, it felt like counterattacks, right? It felt like, oh my gosh, Japan just killed them on the counter. Spain, you know, trying to possess. And then when they lose it, they were too spread out. Uh, the first goal wasn't a, a pure, like, transition moment. It was, uh, yeah, Spain lost it in midfield. But Japan cycled it back around to the right side. They're, like, center backs. You know, they played three in the back. They got to the center back, got it up the right sideline, went back to a center back, uh, and then went all the way out to the left side before Endo hit that brilliant uh, early cross curling beyond the Spanish center backs. So it wasn't even a transition moment. It was just the way they create that space and how ruthlessly and quickly they recognize it and exploit it. Um, and then again, the finishing was totally on their side in this match with three goals on their first three trips into the box. Uh, insanity. But um, it's, just, it's just the coordination, right? It's just the team-wide understanding of where they need to go, what space is about to be created by the movement from their teammates and how the next player needs to fill that space um, and how the ball needs to arrive there, how and when it needs to arrive there. And the understanding is just crazy. It's crazy to see that even even at like club level, what they would be doing is wildly impressive. Um, and then to add on to how impressive it is, it's a to- today was a totally different game plan than what they usually do, right? I've been marveling about uh, their, I guess what I'm going to call their primary game plan, the one we've seen in She Believes Cup and the first two games of this World Cup, which is not necessarily ball dominant, but possession oriented, right? Where they build... Uh, with very long, deliberate passing sequences, and they're so organized, and their movement is so coordinated, and it's incredible, but it's, it's very deliberate. 
And then in today, there was like none of that. Like you said, Spain, 77% possession. This was not the Japan we have seen in any of the games we have seen them play in 2023. Uh, so to execute a totally different game plan, like the, the polar opposite of what they usually do, that well, and look that well drilled, um, I, you know, it's knockout soccer. They're, they're going to the knockouts now. Anything can happen. Uh, there's no guarantees that they're going to parlay this into a semifinal run or a final run or a trophy. But it's it's amazing just to see what they've done so far. Yeah, you mentioned in there that uh, the variance has gone Japan's way, and that is certainly true. You know, like you said, eleven goals for zero goals against. The first three trips in the box were goals. Obviously, could bite them. But do you think that these principles of play are strong enough to survive a few variance hiccups along the way? Uh, to an extent, yes. But I mean, that's the whole idea: is you never know. Uh, what they got today was, uh, you know, the three goals that they got so quickly and in, in on their first three shots um, makes it seem like a more lopsided game than maybe it was, right? Spain um, didn't create very much ch- many chances at all, but they did dominate possession. And part of that can be a way for teams to keep the ball away from Japan. So they only get three or four chances. I mean, uh, game state matters too. So Japan didn't have to, you know, once they're up 2-0 and then 3-0 in 40 minutes, they don't have to keep their foot on the gas. Uh, they can afford to just absorb and absorb and absorb uh, for 40 minutes at a time. But what I would say is Japan, like at this point, I am totally confident confident that in any game Japan plays, they are going to be as prepared as they can possibly be. Uh, and they are going to, uh, I think the analogy I'm going to use here is they're going to squeeze as much juice out of their talent as can possibly be squeezed. Um, sometimes that's not enough in, a, in one game of soccer. You can do that and still lose. Um, either because of bad luck or because you're up against a team that even though they're not as prepared, the talent that they have at their disposal, they don't have to get all the juice. They get a little bit of the juice, and it's such a big such a big piece of fruit that that can be enough. And if you can't tell, I'm hopefully talking about the U.S. women's national team. Yeah, we will get to them in just a minute because they play in the wee hours in the morning for those of us here on the East Coast. Uh, lastly, on this game, uh, the the second-place team in this group, so we knew the loser of this game was going to be the team that the United States play in the quarterfinals. If so, if, that's going right, to be Spain. It, <laughs> well, it, yes, sorry, sorry. If the U.S. come first, I know we do a lot of assuming here with the United States. I think this tournament has proved that we can't necessarily do all the assuming that we used to do. But if these teams win, then they will meet in the quarterfinals. And based off this game. Do you think Spain has what it takes against a team, maybe not with the same game plan, because I'm not going to, you know, heap that much praise on us, but with a similar game plan of prevent and hit on in transition moments, do you think the U.S. could beat Spain, or do you think that the Spain team is just really, really good, and it'll be a really tough out for the United States? Oh, it's a tough out, no question about it, Um, but we have it in us, absolutely. I mean... I would probably still consider us the favorite because our defense is outstanding. Um, so if any defense is going to be able to hold up against Spain's possession attack, like we saw Japan do, our defense can do it. And again, our players uh, have such ridiculous individual talent that we don't have to be as coordinated uh, as Japan were on their counterattacks just to even create the shots. I'm not even talking about the conversion. I'm talking about the efficiency in their movement and decisions and execution in those counterattacking moments. We have not displayed that that level of tidiness and uh, efficiency. But again, we don't necessarily have to. We can do enough. We can be set-piece monsters. 
there are plenty of ways that we can beat Spain uh, if we see them in the quarters. Um, you know, again, talking about groups, big, big picture group stage stuff uh, to get into the knockouts. Spain didn't, doesn't even necessarily come out behind uh, with this outcome. We don't know where the U.S. and Netherlands are going to finish. If Netherlands boat race Vietnam, um, they could end up winning the group even if we beat Portugal tonight. Uh, and the round of 16 opponents for Spain and Japan um, flipped from what you would have maybe expected pre-tournament. So Spain finishing second gets Switzerland, who you might have expected to finish second. Japan finishing first get Norway, who were probably considered the best team uh, in Group A. So, I mean, straight off the bat, like, Spain, as, as maybe it was, as much as it may have humiliated them or humbled, we'll say, humbled them, um, their, their consolation prize is probably a slightly easier round of 16 matchup. Yeah, it's definitely be fun to watch uh, all those uh, Spanish women who play with Cernogosevic go head-to-head in that one. That should be a fun duel. Uh, but yeah, even though Spain takes second, we shall see how the bracket shapes out. They may may have emerged the luckier of the sides either way. <laughs> but uh, in the other game in that group, these are simultaneous kicks at this point. Zambia beat Costa Rica 3-1. Now, this game had no stakes. Uh, both these teams were going to go home. But shout out Zambia, their first World Cup win. They got three goals, which are their three, uh, the first three goals that they scored in this tournament. Barbara Banda got a goal and an assist. So shout out uh, to Zambia for sticking with it and getting that win that we talked about a little bit of a prize for them at the end of uh, I mean, what you have to consider just an absolutely horrific uh, first two games in the fir- in the world cup for them simply because Japan and Spain are that good. Not much that they could have done about that. Uh, and then transitioning to the other group uh, play that was the Canada Australia group. I'll touch on that game in just a minute. But Ireland and Nigeria played first. This was a game with stakes for Nigeria. Ireland was eliminated. They played to a nil-nil draw. So not a super scintillating game, but good enough for Nigeria that no matter what happened in the other game, they would go through. And in the other game, Greg, this is where we had a lot of fun uh, (laughs) in the early morning for those of us here in the United States. We came into this game knowing that a tie in this one would send Canada through, a Australia win would send Australia through, and Australia, the hosts, showed up to play. Haley Rasso, the first two goals in the first half, got the job done for Australia. A massive 4-0 win with their home crowd at their backs, send Canada packing, and Australia top of the group and on to the round of 16. This was a crazy game, Greg. Um, you know, what do you even say? Australia has not had Sam Kerr play in the group stage and they still managed to top the group. They lose a game that they wouldn't have expected to lose and they still top the group. Uh, this is awesome. I mean, this again, New Zealand couldn't get theirs done despite setting themselves up well from their own heroics. Um, but to have Australia now into the knockouts, I think it's an important thing to keep the host country alive as long as possible. Uh, it's tempting to like, celebrate Canada's demise here, you know, defending Olympic champions. Um, but it's hard, man. Sinclair is a legend. Uh, like B- uh, Buchanan and Lawrence are, are on their way to being Canadian legends if they're not already. Uh, they're, they're like, they're a pretty likable team, right? So it's, while, while it's like, we want to be top dogs uh, in North America, it's, it's still tough to see them going out like this. I'm not, I'm going to shed too many tears because I'm also uh, hugely celebrating Nigeria getting into the knockouts, but 
Uh, it's tough to see Sinclair maybe end her career here. Yeah, it's tough for her, especially. that uh, Her retirement or impending retirement is the one real kind of uh, sad aspect of this. Uh, I don't. I generally root for the underdogs or for Nigeria to go through and the host to go through. This is the ideal outcome for me. But no, I completely understand what you're saying there about Sinclair. And they are a likable team. I think a large part of this has to come down to their federation and how their federation set them up for failure. And in many ways, this, uh, th- this, I kind of, I would say it's a failure. They should get out of this group on paper is on their federation. And they're going to have to do some soul searching before the next one, because as good as they were at the Olympics, the world cup is the most important tournament in the world and Canada go out in the group stage. Do you see it in that way? I mean, yeah, it's, it's hugely disappointing. Uh, and there's no way to take it other than like, uh, failure by by all parties like the federation definitely shoulders its share of the blame uh you can't have that kind of very public uh battle between between the players staff and federation and not have that be a, a hanging over it um but it, do, it also doesn't absolve the players for you know putting in really subpar performances over three matches uh so uh it's just a yeah it's just a confluence of disappointment um if you're a Canadian fan or, you know, follow Canada very closely. Uh, again, on the flip side, Nigeria, second knockout knockout uh, appearance in two World Cups. So in their last two. So, uh, you know, overlook them at your peril. And they weren't even really able to get Oshawala cooking uh, in the group stage. But she's a player that can crush your hopes and dreams uh, with one strike of the football. So we'll see if she can do that in the knockout stages. Congrats to Australia. Congrats to Nigeria. They move on from group B and we can move to the game that all of us uh, will be losing sleep over literally uh, Portugal and the USA kick off at 3 a.m. on the East coast, Greg, even though it seems that the USA should win this game. And even though we didn't play amazing against the Netherlands, even that result would say that the U S should probably take all three points in this game. The real question is how many goals can we score and how many goals will the Netherlands score? I guess my question to you is, do the USA have what it takes to run up the score on Portugal? Because I'm not sure if we do. Oh, we definitely do. Uh, in part because any goal we score uh, is going to be like a devastating blow for Portugal. They will think they're in it, right? They'll think they're in it as long as it's 0-0 and they just need one mistake, one slip up, one set piece, any any kind of moment that they can get a goal and, and advance, right? They're still alive. And... As long as they have that belief, they're going to be really dangerous. Uh, but their chances, I imagine, are going to be very few and far between. And so I mean, they might literally not have any, you know. And so if they're sitting there without a single chance and then we score our goal and now suddenly a team that has not been able to put anything together needs two goals, like that is so deflating. Uh, and that, that would potentially open the door for us to just steamroll. Uh, you know, if their body language drops, if their commitment and dedication uh, on every single play drops, uh, that can be that can be the the recipe for four zero five zero. Um, if not, and it stays zero zero, like obviously you're not running up the score already. But that's where you start to get really nervous about the big possible disaster, which is you can't rule that out. I know it's we want to be able to as the U.S. just say no, we'll win this game. But you know, 2015 we we edged Nigeria one zero in the group stage when it was still possible that we would get knocked out. Different dynamics there with. Uh, third place teams getting through uh, in 2015, but 
you know, you, it's a 90-minute game of soccer, and Portugal are at least a competent side. Uh, so I am not, I'm not counting my goal difference chickens. I'm not even getting to goal difference chickens. I'm, I'm very much just like, will we create a chance to score on? Well, I guess that's kind of where I'm at because, yeah, you said, yes, we obviously have the, uh, the tools to run up the score. And I do agree that we have it, like, theoretically. I guess my real issue and where I kind of stop and say I don't really I, – I definitely can't uh, – I wouldn't put any money behind a massive scoreline for the U.S. in this one is because the U.S. and Portugal both know what's at stake. A Portugal win – sends the U.S. packing and Portugal through in the most improbable, right, of situations. For the United States, they have to score a goal first, and we know how Portugal are, right? Any real Portuguese side, be it in the league, the national teams, they can sit behind the ball, muddy up the waters, kill the clock, and do all those things that a team that's looking for a scrappy moment to have a 1-0 win, because let's be fair— they're rooting for a 1-0 win, oh, yeah. Portugal. They are going to be willing to absorb any and all pressure by the United States. So I think it's going to be really tough because for a team in the United States that hasn't shown real dynamic attacking uh, going forward, even though we have the talent to do so, scoring that first or second goal to really deflate Portugal, I think it's going to be a super, super difficult task. Uh, I, I mean, I can see it happening, right? I can see it being minute 25, minute 30, um, Getting a little tense, getting a little anxious, uh, and and you know start sort of you know when you get to where you're trying too hard, you're trying you're holding on a little too tight to everything because that pressure's starting way on you. Now we have a bunch of players who have been through this, uh, in you know even in 2019 where you know I felt like we were by far the best team on paper. Um, not every game was like a, a cakewalk. In fact, none of the knockout games were cakewalks. And this sort of has that same feel of a knockout game because, um, you know, the outcome very much matters. Uh, so we've, we've got the, this is where I think the experience can help. Um, and I also would say again, you know, when I'm talking about the experience, we're not talking about bad players either. When I'm like, oh, well, Alex Morgan has the experience. She also is really good at soccer. Uh, so I would say, We've got the players, we've got the talent, we've got experience, and we don't even have to necessarily get everything right in our lineup selections and our tactics because, again, the talent is overwhelming. So, you know, we could see a lineup. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we see uh, uh, some changes in the 11 to give us a, a little bit more of like an ability to high press early, use some energy to um, keep Portugal from getting any kind of a foothold in the match. Uh, Stay on top of them. Stay on, like nonstop corner kicks, nonstop set pieces, nonstop you know battering of them. Uh, and for me, that's that's Lynn Williams in the game. So you know whether it's Trinity Rodman taking a breather or Alex Morgan uh, coming off the bench for 20 minutes, I'm hoping to see that. But there are no lineups. You know, no, there are no realistic lineups that I would be like, oh no, this is the wrong choice, and and we're gonna blow it. Yeah, and that was going to be my final question. Any major lineup changes from what we've put out the first two games, which has been the same uh, in those first two games, do you, would, would you change anything at this point? Or do you think any hoping of you know maybe moving Juilliard back to the midfield is simply idealistic? I don't know if it's idealistic or if it's just something where Vlatko's got his mind made up. Uh, give me your thoughts on it. Are you, are you worried that like uh, Ertz in the center back is the wrong choice and that she needs to be the defensive mid? Where do, where do you kind of fall on it? I mean, I'm pretty sure that for the uh, success of our team overall going forward, it is the wrong choice, but I don't, 
I don't know when and how that's going to manifest itself because it could be, you know, I guess the the tough thing with Ertz in the midfield and Lavelle being only able to play 45 is that you don't really know what you're missing until you put them in the middle and then you only then will you see what you're missing. So I know that I think Ertz can produce a little more. I think Lavelle certainly would help our attack if she can play 90. We'll see. Uh, hopefully that's a when and not an if. But it seems to me that it's not just positionally, that it's it's tactical more so than positional for me are some of our failures going forward. And so I don't know really, and I don't even, I'm not so much hopeful that a change or two changes will really impact the final result that much. I don't know. So, I mean, my, my real thought on it is I want Ertz in the midfield and Cook in the game because I want to add Cook to our set piece monster list. <laughs> so that's, that's really where I'm at. I'm like, man, if we can get another body on those corner kicks, that could be, that could be the difference. Get an early goal on the corner and then bury him. So, no, that's a really good, that's a really good so, point. Yeah. Like, I, I also want that. The Cook in the back line, Ertz in the midfield. I, I was saying that on the uh, Scuff Call-In show. That's my ideal change. I don't think I would do too much more than that. I think DeMello's look good. I think Morgan has surprised a lot of people and really facilitated well in that, uh, that striker role. And so I think it's just that Cook-Ertz thing that is that's the real one at this point that I think that can really tangibly help the team. Would you play Lavelle the first 45 or the last 45? If that has to be the decision. I'd save her. I'd save her for the last 45. Uh, if that's all she can go. Um, and then, and then, yeah, even, even the Alex Morgan stuff where I think our press would be better served with Lynn Williams. I also know Alex Morgan is also a monster on set pieces. So, you know, when, if you can add that body in both sides too, like we got to defend them because that could be Portugal's only way through and we need to be able to capitalize on because, you know, let's be honest, we're not awesome at carving apart uh, set block. So, uh, yeah, if I see Alex Morgan's name on the list on the eleven, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be panicking. Greg, that all changes tonight. <laughs> tonight, tonight is when we flip the switch. But no, the United States uh, and Portugal square off at three a.m. Uh, on the East Coast. The only uh, result that sends the U.S. home is a Portugal win. It just comes down then to uh, if and hopefully when the U.S. win, what the goal difference will shape up like with what we assume the Netherlands is going to do as to who's going to win the uh, Group E and who's going to come in second place. Very quickly, Greg, a prediction for ne- Vietnam and the Netherlands. Obviously, we assume the Netherlands is going to win. Do you think they're going to be able to put up a big number or like the United States keep it in that two, three, four goal range? Oh, I think they're going to put up a number. I think it's going to be, it's going to be, it, they could get to a crooked number here. And uh, I hope they do. Again, like I want everyone clicking. So I want, I want the Netherlands to be, to be racing. And I'll say again, at this point, the, the big disincentive for finishing second is just because you'd line up with Sweden instead of whoever else comes out of Sweden's group in the round of 16. Because Sweden, uh, again, maybe, maybe overlooked a little bit by all of us, or at least by me. Maybe I overlooked them a little bit more earlier uh, before the tournament. There's a huge gap between Sweden, I think, and the second place team coming out of the group, whichever team it ends up being. They're all still alive, I think. Yeah, it's probably going to be Italy or South Africa in second place and probably Sweden in first place. That's just kind of the way it's looking. But I, like you said, would much rather play that second place team in Sweden. 
I think either Japan or Spain are going to be really difficult tests for whoever comes in, uh, you know, first or second in this group. Um, and they're going to be different kinds of tests too. So we'll see. I That's interesting that you think the Netherlands is going to be able to put up a number. Obviously, just for pride's sake, I hope they don't. But <laughs> if, if they do, and they certainly have the capabilities to do so, uh, we'll see what the U.S. then has to do in response. Uh, that's that's good for Group E. And uh, quickly for Group D, we have China and England and then Haiti and Denmark. They kick off at 7 a.m. on the East Coast. So a, that would be a good hour if we weren't all you know staying up in the middle of the night for the U.S. game. England, six points. And then Haiti is the only team on zero points, though they do still have a chance, I believe. Yeah, they have a chance because if China don't win or draw England and Haiti beat Denmark, there's a chance for Haiti to sneak through. So technically all those teams are alive uh, heading into this final match day. And so, Greg, we'll start with China and England. The Chinese, I think, have, uh, they ha- they've looked pretty good. They were unfortunate against Denmark, I thought, that maybe they weren't able to, you know, take a goal and uh, take at least one point in that game. And then against Haiti, they were able to get all three. And so do you think that they're going to be able to parlay that relative success into this England matchup? I genuinely have no idea. Uh, I hope they do, because it would be... Uh, outstanding drama because I, I mean, it'll take some doing, but England could get eliminated. Like they're not, they're actually not mathematically through because China can get to six by beating them. Denmark can get to six by beating Haiti. And then it's just all going to come down to the goal difference carousel. Uh, so England aren't that far ahead because they've just won two close games. They have uh, two one goal victories. So they're only at plus two on goal difference. No, you're right. There's, you're a, right yeah. there's, there's a path for England to get knocked out. Yeah, that's a good point that you make. Yeah, it's certainly not over uh, for England. They have work to do. And man, the drama, if they get uh, eliminated, ooh, I don't even want to think about it. Uh, that, that's just the pipe dream at this point. Um, but yeah, yeah, very unlikely, but but still possible. It, 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 no, you make a good point. That goal difference is very attainable, especially for Denmark, if they're going to beat uh, Haiti. Yeah, stuff could happen in that group still. All those teams still alive to go through and alive to be knocked out. So we'll see what happens. And then, like we said, that Haiti-Denmark game. Haiti, I think, very unfortunate not to have grabbed at least a point up to this stage. A 1-0 loss to England, in which they had chances. And then a 1-0 loss to China, in which they certainly had chances. Uh, Dumornay didn't start due to a knock last game, but then she did come in and play the final 45. Greg, do you think that this Haiti team has enough, uh, and they have what it takes, to pick up three points against Denmark that could see them go through? Or do you think that Denmark can just play for that draw at least, and then hopefully for them head through in that second place position. I am, I am putting all of my uh, hopes for that group in Haiti, pulling it off. Uh, Same. And, and they don't, it's not, it's not crazy, right? That certainly wouldn't be crazy. All they need is a, a decent win and England to win and, and they could do it. They could, it, it's, it's uh it'd be a, I don't know. Like again, it, the world cup is such a party. And when you have a, uh, a program that has been through so much. Like I remember uh, going to, I think it was a 2000, a qualifier for the 2015 World Cup. Uh, Haiti played right before the U.S. in Kansas City, um, a doubleheader. And I just remember like, you know, they were, they, were in, they were training at a college facility leading up to it and like needing, you know, gear donated for them. Uh, so eight years later to be potentially going into the knockouts of the World Cup would just be just phenomenal. Uh, an accomplishment for the players, the staff. Um, so yes, that's what I want more than anything in the world is Haiti to get through. 
I completely agree. This Haiti team is so likable. Dumournay is only 19 years of age, and she's putting on a show against teams like even the United States. Yeah, it, if they're able somehow to get a result and the other you know result happens for them in the other game and they go through, that'll be a party, I think, for all of us, even though we're all U.S. fans. Uh, that would be an amazing result. But yep, that's really the situation in Group D. England, all they need is a point. Maybe they don't even need that. And all the other teams to guarantee themselves a spot, just win. Just win and you will be in, in that group. So hopefully Haiti's able to uh, pull it out, but we'll see. They they have a lot of work still ahead of them if they want to do that. But Greg, thanks so much for coming on, uh, chatting with me about Japan, the United States, so much more. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Greg, anything else? No, man, Joe, I appreciate all you're doing here for the uh, the podcast. Yeah, no problem. It's a lot of fun. Listeners, we'll be back tomorrow to recap the United States and all that action in Group D and then preview, among other things, uh, the, uh, the craziness that's about to go down in Group F on that final day. So until tomorrow, we'll see you.